Good morning, vendors and non-vendors alike, and welcome to the Republic City Dispatch, a radio program covering Nick.com's Legend of Korra series. This week, showdown at Zalfu as we learn the origins of Kuvira the Dictator. Can the newly repowered Korra avoid a costly battle? Bolin, Beric, and Zuli try to escape after Beric's had a crisis of conscience. And speaking of mech fights, Asami's dad is back. Let's meet all our hosts, Matt, Dave, Devendra, and Joanna. Hello and welcome to another episode of Republic City's Dispatch. We're back broadcasting live from a re-education camp in the Earth Kingdom <laughs> uh, where we are expected to learn new skills soon. So that'll be exciting. That's the, that's the promise on the table. I don't know. Uh, but we're all back. Yes, all four of us here talking about Korra. Who are all four of us? I'm Matt Patches and I'm with Devinder Hardwar. Hello, hello. Joanna Robinson. Hello. And Dave with the Seven Gonzales. We're your only trusty head voices this week, listener. <laughs> <laughs> and uh, this this week we're talking about Enemy at the Gates, which I do not believe has anything to do with the 2001 film Enemy at the Gates. Which is an the awesome Joseph movie. Fiennes is it an awesome movie? It's really cool. <laughs> I was trying I just, to remember. It has pretty good action, right? But I, I yeah. can't remember. The guy who directed it, Jean-Jacques Anod, I'm like, who are you? Where did this movie come from? But you you endorse it. It's uh, I I like sniper battles. Yeah, and, uh, sniper that's a really fun. Too. Yeah, sniper battles. Yeah. Uh, Dave, what happened in Enemy at the Gates? Can you give us the lowdown before we get <clears throat> into this? Yeah, so Kuvira pulls up to Zalfu with her entire army and attempts to send in Bolin to negotiate with the very wary Beifong family, still led by Sue, who turned down the throne after the death of the Earth Queen, just like she said she would. Korra shows up after Kuvira gives Su Yin a time limit on her ultimatum and gets the story about when Kuvira left Zalfu. From a uh, from talking to Sue, Sue wants Korra to Avatar state the army away, but Korra wants to talk to Kuvira. In Kuvira's camp, Bolin and Varric finally notice they're on the, sa- the side of a fascist when Kuvira threatens them both. Varric refuses to work on harnessing the Varric defect power of the Spirit Vine that gives us Vatu's Inception laser from Book Two. Bolin tries to help Zuli and Varric escape in mech suits, but they're caught by Kuvira's evil-looking husband and brought back to Kuvira, where she sends Bolin and Varric to re-education camps after Zuli finally flips on Varric, or so it seems. Also in Republic City, on basically a different show, Asami spends time with her father, Hiroshi, <laughs> eventually playing a game of pie show with him. Oh, What <laughs> show is that? It's, it's like some sort of sitcom. It's Hiroshi like a Hiroshi an episode <laughs> happening elsewhere. Say, say anything, the TV show. Aww. Mm. Oh, yeah, it kind of is, because he's in pri- his dad's in prison in that movie, isn't he? Mm-hmm. Uh, was supposed to happen, it, right? That, say, say, anything, say anything too. Say anything the TV show. I think we just canceled. spoiled say anything for oh. by talking about the prison thing, but that's okay. <laughs> well, l- let's uh, let's get into talking about Cora. Oh, before we start, I just wanted to thank everyone again for leaving all these comments and these blog posts reacting to the show and, and linking them in RepublicCityDispatch.com. It's been all amazing, and I'm still kind of blown away that people are discovering the podcast. Like, just now, we received messages this week about people listening to episodes from book one uh, when we were we thought Amon was, uh, I don't know. Well, when we weren't we pronouncing know any names was. right, that's for sure. Oh, yeah. It was a totally <laughs> miserable time in those dark days of Republic City Dispatch. But people are discovering those episodes now, and it's because people are going on iTunes and leaving reviews or ratings and just getting the word out there. So thank you to all those people, and thank you to new listeners, and please leave those comments, leave those reviews. It really helps the show. I want to step in here and say that I was absent last week for some personal engagements, and the way I got through is reading your guys' iTunes reviews and comments. And, like, I know Patches always (laughs) has these things about how great they are, but, like, really... (laughs) I read everything I can about Cora before doing these podcasts, and some of the best stuff is in our comment section. So everybody should be going there. And your iTunes review has been really nice, so thank you. It is pretty enlightening. Uh, I've been trying to figure out how to start this conversation on this episode because it's, pre- it's pretty dense in terms of politics, ideologies, history references, and, and um, emotional. Uh, and family. Family. Uh, a lot of family, actually. Maybe that's the place to begin. But really, I, I, I keep... I, this episode keeps going back to Kuvira, so I think we should start with Kuvira, someone who we thought, I guess we just assumed was the big bad of this season, and who we speculated may not be. Maybe there's someone pulling strings, or there's a bigger bad out there. I don't really think so, and I have trouble calling her a big bad at mm-hmm. this point. She's the big bad is else, ideology. Right? I think the big bad is going to be technology, which one of you guys called that, but I think it's going to be... <laughs> 
Kuvira with that laser. Oh, sure. Right? But, you know, that's a tool. It's really, the. I think what's been interesting across all these seasons, right, is that the overarching ideology of all these villains has been really interesting. And that's something I wasn't here for last week, but that's something that I think Toph really forced Korra to confront. So we're seeing that again. You know, technology will just be a part of it. It's, I'm just it's thinking a, it's more like mm-hmm. Kuvira. It's like Kuvira and then superpower Kuvira with the laser. You know, oh, sure. like you've got a middling bad and then you've got her. Doesn't that happen in Street Fighter 2? Doesn't uh, M. Bison <laughs> become like super M. Bison with glowing eyes? Don't, are you referring to the movie? I don't know what I'm referring to. I thought Rest I was referring to the video game. Julia. Yeah, poor Rel. But, but that has to be right why Sato is back in the narrative. Uh-huh. Because he's going to somehow help save the day, yeah. the Anasami or something like that, if technology is what we're dealing with in the end. Yes. Technology, I, I mean, I think I always thought it was going to be the great equalizer in this universe, right? For the people who don't have bending powers. And it'll be interesting to see the role it plays. Yeah, for sure. Well, that's what I was curious about. Uh, mm-hmm. Kuvira, like calling someone the big bad. If you can call in television writing and dramatic writing, if you can call a theme or an idea the big bad as opposed uh-huh. to a person it seems like that label is for a specific character not necessarily the themes that run through it. You, you can have a small bad turn into a big bad it happens i think that's often yeah. like because big bad comes from not to talk about buffy too much yes. you know, that it's listeners. all buffy we always upset, talk about like, buffy just get but over like, it. <laughs> the concept of the big bad if it's gonna last a whole season is the big bad has to be not quite good enough to beat our hero for a long time until they get the like the charm, the amulet, the whatever <laughs> they need to become the supersized big bad to be the real credible threat in the finale. And then it's, you know, our hero just barely defeats them. Right. Mm, so I don't know if that applies to Legend of Korra from what we've seen. This looks mean, a lot like book one to me where mm. it's a super powerful person that has their crap together right from the beginning. And it's Korra that has to sort of catch up with the world and so for me, it's not like, I don't know. For me, I keep coming back to the mm-hmm. fact this series is called Balance. And like every other book has been very specific about why it was called what it was called. At this point in the narrative, where the next week will be halfway through the final season, I'm not exactly sure what the balance, like the final balance even could be at this point. It seems mm-hmm. like uh, like something's going to have to happen with the Earth Kingdom, and if Zafu is the last holdout, already we've basically lost the Earth Kingdom. Mm. Uh, the Avatar isn't super psyched about going in the Avatar state anymore, which I don't know if that's a good thing or a bad thing, honestly. Like, uh, I don't know. I, it I seems... think she was just reluctant to make that her first thing to do. Right. Well, I mean, to immediately just like wipe out an army. That probably sucks. <laughs> yeah, I'm bad. Let's not do that. Not do that. <laughs> but the the balance thing makes a lot of sense if you take into account what Toph pointed out last episode, right? Is that the idea that, you know, these all these villains had really interesting ideas and Korra's job now is to try to figure out, you know, they actually had some good points and you can actually implement some of those ideas because those kind of point to underlying frustrations in the society that all, that, you know, that certain people have. So if you take those ideas into account, maybe you can find a way for everybody to live together in harmony. It just seems weird to me that we spent book one basically doing what we're doing now with the Earth Kingdom with right, the equalists, right. and then now we're like, like the poor non-benders sort of like had their chance, and they picked a evil villain to to lead them, and now they've just never gotten a chance to like rise again. Mm-hmm. So I, I mean, I'm trying to I'm trying to think about because this season has been very deliberate about uh, placing its plot pieces to make like this sort of gray moral political ground. Like what, what are we building to? But I don't know if you can call it a gray moral political ground when you've got a leader who's threatening people with re-education camps, like her roots, her origin is you, we can sympathize with. And, and we did talk about this on previous podcasts where it's like, yes, Su Yin was wrong, I think. And Kuvira was wrong, and the balance is somewhere in the Su middle Yin, of how mm-hmm. to approach. Suyin was wrong about keeping out of it entirely. To, oh, okay. Yeah. From yeah. from the flashbacks, you mean? Yeah, Stop exactly. Saying, I'm not going to help at all because I'm apolitical. Right. Right. Um, um, you know that sort of like global intervention mm-hmm. philosophy, but Kuvira from the start, I think, has just been a little too evil. <laughs> 
for I feel like it should have been she's not a little more insidious. In the public eye, right? That's what makes her kind of untouchable to me. Yeah, I, I mean, she's definitely done things in public. I, that the whole speech, right, at the beginning of the season, is <laughs> like crushing. Like she, she made some pretty public uh, declarations. But doesn't this I happen mean, all the time in the real world? And you can't really go after those people. Like it's all. About... I don't. I, I mean, Opal said she knew about the re-education camps, so yeah. it's not. Like... The villagers don't know where their friends have been sent to. Or the more stuff. we learn about Kavira, the more I'm like disappointed by I don't know, the wisdom of everybody else in this world. Like all the politicians, Bullion. like yes, Bull- well, Bolin we know is an idiot. Okay, and I think that moment where um, Bolin and uh, <clears throat> and uh, what's his face, they kind of come together and they realize um, okay. in Varric, they realize that oh, she threatened me. She threatened yeah. you. <laughs> she's evil but i think the other politicians and freaking um tenzin and everybody else they should have realized that something weird was going on because they're just sitting there ignoring it someone in our comic session brought up that it's really weird that of all people president Raiko's like well we need a new king yeah it's like, yeah Come on, Raiko, didn't you learn anything about your entire life slash the giant uh spirit keiju that tried to but take it's you not down? a king that's the thing it's it's Kind of a democratic situation going well, on. Oh, it's a here, Caesar, so. but I mean, they don't have the history of Caesar to know why that turned out bad. I'm just yes. saying, like, I see why Tenzin, coming from like the history of the council and having his new air nation and dealing with all of that, is like Sue. The easiest thing would be for you to take over. Right. Plus, right. He, she's a Bayfong descendant. But it seems weird for President Raiko, considering he never takes like the let's go with the old way side. Yeah. He always like stumbles into a stupid. De- democracy side and here you bring up democracy at all a lot of ignorance going on here right because like you give oh this kuvira girl she seems like a very uh she's a go-getter she can whip this country into shape let's just give her everything you know let's just let her take charge and rally the country and there didn't seem to be any sort of like political solution like nobody was nobody else was doing anything other than letting Kavira take charge of the entire Earth Kingdom. And, you know, that's, that didn't seem wise, I think, at the beginning. Yeah, as mm-hmm. Prince Prince Shufflin Wu. Yeah. Nice little red herring in there. <laughs> Although I guess he's going to, he's got to come back. Mako's got to come back. Mm-hmm. I missed you guys. I mean, I would, I would take more Prince Wu and Mako over. I think the Asami thing should have been like two episodes earlier. It felt really weird in this episode, but yeah. it's going to come back with mech tanks and family. <laughs> mech tanks and family. Mech tanks and family. Um, I want that to be my memoir title. Maybe that's Christmas the name of the show. That's the name of the show. <laughs> uh, but Devendra, kind of speaking to what you said, yeah, a lot of people dropped the ball. You know, Tenzin is wise. He probably should have seen the problems with putting Kuvir in charge and letting her mm-hmm. roam the world. Then again, Tenzin's dropped the ball a few times over the course of the series. He's not the <laughs> yes. wisest guy. Yes. He might be. He might but know all the, the leaders, tribe, but all the world leaders. But all the world the leaders ball, do drop the ball. Time. But what my question to you is: is that that's not? Um, it's it's realistic, right? It, it's silly, and we kind of groan at it because we wish these people would get their act together and someone could uh-huh. do something. But is the writing realistic? Is it is it true? I, I mean, I, I we could probably find some real world parallels where similar things have happened for sure. Like we, or keep even just in the Caesar. context yeah. of the show. Like I, I I'm always. I, I think there's a lot here, of very convenient ignorance going on to allow something like this to happen, and that's that's my biggest problem with this season so far. Is that you know, Kavira? It's very clear what she was trying to do from the beginning. Um, and they didn't keep an eye on her. There were no, like, I don't know. How could it, they, though? Modern technology doesn't really allow that, right? They I mean, have radios. In a world where you don't really know what's mm-hmm. happening on the other side of the They still the have radio tech. You know, they have radio tech. They have other ways of communicating. Yeah, the fact not, that, yeah. She's not going to broadcast that. She's not calling in from the Kuvira Piercer being like, you send hey, just someone. let you know, I set up a new uh, re-education camp. <laughs> yeah. You just great. Everyone's somebody else to see, hey, what's going on? Like, send a political appointee to see what's going on. Like, it, it just, that's my biggest issue. But you is have Bolin, right? Mm-hmm. You have these people who are trusted by the government <laughs> but phoning in the and being like, it's great. Yeah. I'm really confused how Kuvira ran her operation with an inner circle of two people. It's her and Batar Yeah. <laughs> it's a line. It's a segment. Was and it's Varric like... in the circle? Varric's yeah, in the circle. Varric's in the circle. So it's at least yeah. triangular. Okay, Oh, and Zuli is wherever okay, Varric is. She, she ran her crack operation with Batar Jr., <laughs> Varric, Julie, if we want to add her, right. um, and like 
vast networks of re-education camps and all this sort of thing without Bolin knowing? Like, yeah. how was Bolin there and well, didn't Bolin know? Well, Bolin does know about the re-education camps. Now he's just does. under the impression that he... it's where people go to learn new skills. <laughs> so and it does sound like it. Sure. What's interesting about re-education camps, I was reading up on concentration camps, the history of uh, what is obviously the, the real world parallel to this. And they used to be called re-concentration camps. Are you aware of this? Mm-hmm. Uh, apparently in Cuba in the 1890s, that's when concentration camps first sprung up and they were called re-concentration camps. Re-education camps, see what they did there? It's fun. Yeah, well, they're just having fun trouble concentrating because <laughs> their they're, they're towns are under attack. Someone in our comments section brought up that, like, you could pick apart a lot of stuff that's happening in this episode, but this is the kid's show that's dealing with larger ideas than I think uh, a lot have. And I just want to bring that up, especially as a parallel to something like Star Wars Rebels that I'm also watching, that is very subtly turning Darth Vader into actual genocide, a genocidal, like, dictator. But really? they come... Yeah, well, because he's out to, like, kill the children of the Force now, which we never knew he was trying to do in between Revenge of the Sith and uh, A New Hope. So he's literally... There was that one scene in in Revenge of the Sith, right? Well, I mean, there was the Operation... Or the Order 66. Yes. But, like, that is more like, you know, kill off the Daily, you know, go after the knights of the the thing. When you're going, Anakin walks into the temple and slices the heads off children. Yes, but those are also like Jedi in training. Yes. Those are like potential knights. Now what, better. now what they're doing is like we need to go find these Force kids and cut them off before mm. they even find a Jedi, and that makes it a genocide. Oh, totally like, no compass. problem with this situation. Yeah, but the point being, it's like yeah, Cora, Cora just <laughs> yeah. Does, the Avatar: the Last Airbender started with a genocide about like two lines into its first episode. So I mean, I mean. I, the amount of complexity we got to, I think, is slightly beyond where we left the characters uh, at the end of book three. But I think that's why we did the time jump. So it's like we we didn't have to watch Bolin be stupid for like six weeks. We just have to hear how he's been stupid for three years. <laughs> but I mean, it bleeds over. Like I, I don't want to be overly critical of the show. I love this show, I, I, but I also don't want to give it a pass for being a kids show because it's always been pretty great in yes. terms of its characterizations. Mm-hmm. Right. Um, Bolin, I think it's uncharacteristic for him to be just quite this stupid. Yeah, we know Bolin is kind <laughs> of naive, but just not quite this stupid. And ditto with Cora in this episode when she talks to Kuvira and Kuvira tries to be all rational with her and Cora's like, Oh, it is true. People sure. have questioned my decisions in the past. Sure, you have a big, scary, terrifying army out there, but maybe you're reasonable. I, I mean, what was that? I think we to gotta th- you gotta think about Bolin and where he comes from from like a socioeconomic level, right? I mean, Bolin in book one seems really confident because it's taking place all on the streets of Republic City or Republic City. Um, And And he's with his brother all the time. And he's with his brother all the time. And then in book two, we have him like launched into mover fame and he's totally lost. This is not the world he knows. And that's why he trusts Varric, which he shouldn't. He's so stupid in book two, but he really doesn't know any better because he's lived his entire life on the streets. Uh, I might be getting into dangerous territory here, but... (laughs) I, I understand why that, he's that just finding smarter, he's finding honestly. companionship. Like he he I'd entered, argue he that basically entered the rough, army in book I don't four. Know. I'd I say mean, having a rough background would actually make you smarter about things like this. About who to cannier, right? A little yeah, cannier. Exactly. But like looking for allegiance and looking for camaraderie. He's like found mm. a place, a secure place in the world finally with Kuvira. Well, with no, but okay. Well, then think, if book three had ended with Bolin mm-hmm. sort of rejected somehow by. Everyone thought out Kuvira, but he wasn't. He was. He had a girlfriend, and he was on amicable terms with his brother. Like there was no reason for him to latch onto this as his community. Well, no, know, uh, if the storytelling so had been sorry, that's true. Right, in between the in between these three year periods, Mako went and became the bodyguard for the presumptive king, and Bolin <laughs> went back to take care of his family. That's how he ended up with Kuvira. Like, that's what he told Maka. Like, I went back to where, you know, our family lives and everything's fine now. You know, they don't have rotten fruit. That uh, conversation he has with Mako about why he's doing it, that's enough for me. Because Bolin isn't smarter than that. Like, you have to throw lava at him before he <laughs> yeah. learns he can lava. He takes lava everything back. at face value, for sure. Yeah, but there's, I, never, there's never been a moment where I'm like, Bolin did the smart thing there, ever, in all four <laughs> books. Like, I, he's comic relief, and I love him for it, but it's not like... 
I'm right. surprised by his stupidity in this moment. I agree with Joanna, though, that I think, and maybe I'm misspeaking here, Joanna, so correct me if I'm wrong, but that the show drops the ball on the Boleyn-Opal relationship, something oh, sturdy yes. that should be drawing him out of this situation or at least convincing him that he's making the wrong moves earlier than it has. Like, what happened to Boleyn and Opal? They don't really make sense because they were kind of falling in love by the end. Mm-hmm. Mm, I mean, I still think it's the same thing. They both did what they thought would make the world better, and Opal got to be part of these new X Men air kids, and <laughs> Bolin had to, you know, find his way around and long distance relationships, man. Yeah, <laughs> busy busy jobs, long distance relationships. These things fall apart. It turns out Bolin was really uh, like really his allegiance lies with Marco's red scarf, not with Mako himself. Wherever the <laughs> scarf goes, that's Whoa. where Bolin's heart is. <laughs> that is deep. He'll even leave Papu behind. Yeah, and even the Papu behind this episode. That's the thing is like that's Bolin's anchor. Exactly. Yeah. <laughs> no wonder he's lost. Why would he not take Pabu? I don't know. Kuvira probably banned Pabu from the Kuvira piercer, and Bolin <laughs> still didn't understand that she's evil. No she adorable animals. <laughs> Pabu probably realized what she was up to, and Kuvira was like, "No, no, no! I'm not going to let this <laughs> tiny animal stop my." Plan. I want that flashback episode. That's like a Disney. That's like a Disney movie. Where Pabu <laughs> is going to save his his master and mm-hmm. yeah. an adventure to I have no idea is that that sounds like 101 Dalmatians or something I sounds like one of them something yeah. like that I mean I would I would be okay with that being like episode eight it can't be episode twelve I would <laughs> yell at everybody but <laughs> yeah, well, it reminds me it. of that episode of The Simpsons where Maggie saves Homer from drowning it's something like that yes you know? yeah exactly. if Pabu wants if Pabu gets a standalone episode I think we can all agree that. All of the Bolin mischaracterization will be worth it. Abu Gate will be over. Yeah. <laughs> what, what well, then we guys, just oh, go. We could just move on to is Rohan a bender? Then what happened to that kid? <laughs> I mean, he's been he's around whenever Pabu is basically he's oh. this little dark haired, thick eyebrowed kid who's like riding on Tenzin's shoulders every once in a while. I love that you keep all these kind of really far side characters in the back of your <laughs> mind and you're in your heart, just hoping they'll get a moment. Sorry, Fire Lord Lady. Oh, yeah. Well, okay. While we're talking about how bad all the world leaders have been, Fire Nation seems to be doing fine. They got sure, they caused a hundred year war, but then, like, after that, they, like, laid low. Yeah, they've been, they've been cool. But the, what, what did you think of this flashback with Sue that kind of comes out of nowhere, but it's like her explanation to Korra about what happened and then why Korra should kind of go after. Kuvira. It was a little strange to hear Sue talk about how close they were. And maybe that is the explanation for why Kuvira could launch this campaign without interruption, because Sue has emotional feelings for Kuvira in a familial way. Um, she calls her, it's like, it's like, she was like a daughter to me. And I screamed out, Sue, you have a daughter. <laughs> Opal <laughs> is crying in the corner now. What's wrong with you? Uh, but is that Do the explanation? Do we think Kuvira is... Do you think Kavira's interest in Batar is purely mercenary? Oh, this here we go. This is a big can of worms. This is how it starts. This is a big can of worms. Well, I'd, I'd be interested to hear what you, you think about that. Um, clearly, I mean, clearly Kuvira and Sue are in this silent battle. Kuvira is getting under her skin. Uh, why would she show up with Bolin? She brings Bolin into the inner circle, brings him to, like, convince Sue to, like, hand... Zalfu over to the Earth Kingdom, and yet she comes with him to stir up trouble. She really didn't let her plan play out. For some I reason. kind of, oh, no. I kind of love that Sue was like, Sue was like, "How dare you send Bolin? Like, how dare you send the puppy <laughs> to try to negotiate with me? That's low, That's so low." But by doing that, you know that Kuvira will play the emotional angle against Sue. So it would kind of because there's not much romance, like heat brewing between Batar Junior and. Uh, <laughs> Kuvira, it's a little hard to imagine she's in it just for the romance, but you know that's, that's uh, I've, I've, of course gender Kuvira, hardships there. There's, that's that's a, what am I missing? Was, I this like, a, was this a, a debate in the comment yeah, section? Dave, explain this. What's going what, on? The what the theory that my is my favorite is that Kuvira and Sue were very close, and uh, Kuvira is still pissed that Suyin didn't like make her an actual Beifong, so she's going to do everything she can to tear down her false mother and take her last name. Mm. And this may not even be about uniting the earth kingdom. (laughs) If uh, at the end of it all, because it just seems like, I don't know, I'm going to take your son. I'm Uh going to take your daughter's boyfriend. I'm going to take 
everything that you love about your country and then I'm going to make you give up your home or just kill everybody because I hold all the cards. Like, it just seems very petty, though. I really wonder where the motivation for that theory comes from because it seems incredibly petty, whereas it's more like Batar is a political marriage. Like, that's, that's, that's yeah. how these things work, you know? Yeah. That's the simplest explanation. It makes sense. Right. But, I mean, yeah. also, she gets the become the matriarch of a family that she wasn't raised by. I am a mm. Beifong now. <laughs> I am ah. Beifong now. Well, and well, then no, someone if she has cuts, to come out of the swamp. If she cuts her hair into Suyin's like sassy bob, then we'll know that there's some sort of like single white female scary <laughs> thing going on. Well, so, but does this bring up weird gender issues? Is it weird of us to presume this theory? So some people in the comments, one of our listeners, Emerson, um, writes that she, or... I, I don't know if it's a he or a she. Emerson gives a hard side eye to all the Kuvira brainwashed Batar Jr. with her feminine wiles stuff going around. This is her words. And that Batar Jr. is a grown man with the ability to make his own decisions, absolving him of any sort of blame and assigning it all to Kuvira instead because she ruined his innocence, quote unquote, with her evil vagina or whatever is frankly pretty misogynistic. That's what people saying. No, listen, what? I don't That's think That's directly it is from because... our comment section. Well, the, the, I don't think it is. I would believe that scenario if it were flipped and you could call that misogynist too like oh give the female no credit say the big uniter male stole the female Beifong like you could make that argument no matter which way you slice it but Mm -hmm. I think because Batar doesn't really have a personality and Kuvira does it's easier to see him as a pawn you know like Kuvira at least has has given us something Batar is just like I hate my family that's it that's all we know we're gonna show them he, he has a little bit going on. Someone in, also in our comments wrote, uh, an actual engineer wrote this, that engineers and architects have very um, tough relationships. That architects are all like, let's build the greatest building in all the world. It's going to be beautiful. And engineers are the people going, well, you can't, you can't just do that. It's going to fall down. Uh, <laughs> and they're like the bearers of bad news all the time. And they get the short end of the stick. And Batar Sr. is the architect, and Batar Jr. is the engineer. So maybe he has a reason to kind of flee the family. He has more going on than we give him credit for. You guys are going oh. deep. <laughs> beyond the text. I kind of love that. Way beyond the text. Beyond, I don't really think that's beyond the text. They have a moment. Like, you get to see Batar Sr. have a reaction for oh, the sure. first time in this. He gets a profile shot where he goes, <gasps> it's, just, it's funny to go so deep when it's more like, hey, your parents are, you know, the rulers of one of the most interesting earthbending, you know, air, cities or whatever. And uh, he just, he's, he's kind of revolting against that because he'll never be his own person. When yeah, you have and I'm parents not like saying that. that, like Kuvira brainwashed him. Yeah. Like that's not my argument. My argument is like, what is her interest in him? Mm-hmm. Not that this, like, if her interest in him is political or mercenary or any of that, it does not absolve him from guilt right. of what he's done. And he has his own motivations, which is like, you know, shitty, petulant feelings about his family. Um, but it's easier to do that when you have a strong uh, personality like Kuvira to latch to to like show your rebellious side because I think we can all agree that she has a stronger personality than he does. Mm-hmm. I mean, uh, you guys don't see that they're just becoming the fam- the parent unit. This is just all Oedipal. I'm still on it, guys. Like, she, there's a new Batar and a new Suyin. <laughs> this, like, this is Sue in the circus photo level conspiracy theory. I don't think Sue? so. No, I, it, I, it think, still I, think, <laughs> I think my reading makes it emotionally track. I, I I could see it happening, uh, but Kuvira really hasn't let that out. She hasn't had like a side moment behind closed doors mm-hmm. where she's gnashing her teeth and going, ah, Sue, I'm going to have your life soon It enough. seems too soap operatic for a show like that. Yeah, it's, it's definitely, yeah. and we've talked about Star Wars yeah. a lot during the season because of the Toph, uh Yoda connections. But especially in this so episode, good. they're like building the Death Star laser. Uh, Kuvira <laughs> chokeholds Varric in the most Vader esque way possible. Okay. I think that if anything, that's what the shoulder pads were for. All along. I know, but like, <laughs> exactly, how exactly. How stupid is anyone to wear metal near their neck around Kuvira? No one <laughs> thought about it. It just looked great. It's part of the costume, isn't it? You don't Red question uniform. Fashion Week, New York. Sue, Sue also but. has like a big ornamental bit of metal around her neck. I was a little like now I was just looking for metal around the neck and how scary that is. So. <laughs> but it's it's very Vader-esque and, you know, Star Wars wears its uh, World War II parallels on its shoulder. It's very obvious stuff. And 
while I would like some sort of emotional value to the Kuvira Sue relationship, I think Kuvira is basically just Hitler or Darth Vader. And at first, we can't really question her. We those can't are two her. really complex people. They're very <laughs> complex people. Yeah. No, but but they rose to power in kind of an innocuous way, right? Like no one could mm-hmm. touch Hitler in the beginning, or no one wanted to. And that's a lot of what we're seeing in the Avatar verse. This is why Joanna, Hitler expert, is going to step up and explain this whole thing <laughs> for us in a second. No, but <laughs> I'm not a Hitler expert. How dare you? Um, but the thing I was going to say is that all we know about Kuvira's motivation for why she started this whole thing was through Sue's unreliable narrator perspective, right? We just have Sue's version of what happened. And the speech from Kuvira about right. what yes. supposedly she's going for. But if it, if it seemed weird and stilted, I mean, maybe this is giving a kid's show too much credit, but like the fact that it's through Sue's perspective might have something to do with that. Mm-hmm. This is what Sue was planning all along, guys. She's playing the <laughs> long con. Well, <laughs> I, w- I would be against that if it didn't seem like she's going to go murder Kovira in her sleep at the end of this week's episode. I or maybe it's... she's going to be like, our plan is working perfectly. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> wow. We still think this is possible? I really don't think Sue is I'm going joking, to take but, off her mask know. and be like, wahaha. But I think she feels regret. I do agree with the unreliable narrator side of that story and trying to paint a picture, an editorialized picture for Cora to convince her to go bash in skulls, right? Um, Sue feels really bad about not stepping up when she needed to and allowing Kuvira to do this because in some ways someone needed to and it's not the wrong move. Kuvira did some good things in the end, right? And I don't know if the means justify the end, but she's helping and now Sue has no, to they, kind of editorialize and definitely don't justify it. I think you can say, <laughs> I don't know yeah, if yeah. re-education camps okay, are worth it for barrels of apples that or whatever is very she bad. <laughs> that is very bad. And when she pulls out her Death Star laser... That's that's gonna push. Keep it over working the end. on this, yeah. Weapon. <laughs> when it blows up Alderaan, that's it. You're a bad Alderaan. Guy. You just, are bad. Just, yeah. Don't be. Don't get mad at Patches. He doesn't know any better, guys. Uh, <laughs> Flowers for Alderaan. Okay. Oh, that's hilarious. <laughs> if that's not a uh, T Fury shirt already, it will be by tomorrow. <laughs> Uh, actually, I wanted to segue from the laser into talking about Varric and Zuli, who had a lot of interesting stuff going on in this episode, and also brought, raised gender questions uh, in our comment section. Uh, what, what would people think about this Varric Zuli moment? Zuli got so much of the stage this episode; it was fantastic. Finally, yeah. Well, it's, uh, it's it's a whole bunch of situations that we normally see her do, right? Saving Varric, just like being tough, being the one to clean everything up, but it's. An episode concentrated with them, and we see her finally flip, I guess. Although maybe this Do is we? part of her plan, too. Yeah. 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 See, That's people have I a think. problem with that. Really? And I mean, about, they have well, a problem of... with her going back to somebody that they see as abusive. It's the Desna Eska Bolin problem sure, again. Sure. Where it's like, are we rooting for this? Because on one hand, we want to root for it. But on the other hand, we know what healthy relationships are. Yeah. I mean, so. I think she can, she can have it both ways, too. She can have a healthy loyalty to Varric and their history and not actually be subservient to him, you know? she Maybe she still wants to help him, but not, you know, support Kavira and everything. Or save yeah. the world. I mean, I don't know. I, I People are complex creatures, guys. Yeah. Like, <laughs> commenters. I mean, <laughs> it's, it's more than, yeah, black or white. I do respect Julie rejecting Varric, but I also yes. prefer the theory that Bolin kind of tried to pretend that he was on board after he wasn't, and Varric tried to pretend he was on board after he wasn't a little bit. And I would just like it if Julie was the only one to successfully try that gambit, like just commit to it a little bit more. (laughs) She's like, I know how to pretend to be subservient, guys. Watch this. She knows what to do. Yeah. Someone else brought up in the comments that she doesn't flip on Varric until uh, it's announced that she's going to be separated from him. So that would make a little bit more sense if she does have like a plan they're like, whoa, Bolin and Zuli are going to the re-education camp. She's like, oh, no, I'm going to flip here and stay near this really? weapon. That plays yeah, more as true. an emotional beat to me than something like plot twisty. It's just someone getting out of a horrible relationship by pledging allegiance to someone new. I don't know. The it timing felt- was really convenient, don't you think? Yeah, and we'll see. The thing is, is Kuvira isn't complex enough of a character that I think yeah. we're even supposed to be on Zuli's side there. Like, mm-hmm. we're supposed to be like, oh, no, Zuli, we want you on our side. Yeah, exactly. And uh, I think the show is also trying to confuse us a little, too, because I think Varric's last uh, one of his last comments to her during the big mech battle fight, which was awesome. 
by the yes, way. Yes, uh, But cool. she, yeah, he he says I forget exactly what he says, but something very like uh, very selfish, or he doesn't really credit her for saving him or anything. And there's a look, there's a shot of her just looking very annoyed. So that's supposed to confuse us a little. Yeah, and I mean, but I, I like really, I'm just trying to give Julie the the most credit I possibly yes. can. Yeah, because I quite be like both. this character, I and I I want her to be a huge hero, so I yeah. want her to have a really complex plan here. Mm-hmm. That's all. Yeah. I'm not sure there's like a romance between these two, but they work really well in terms of balancing each other out. Like, Balance. Like she went to prison with him last time, so I don't think that like she's really suddenly having a crisis of conscience. They did have <laughs> a romantic I, moment though earlier yeah. in this episode. Yeah, <laughs> saved my life. Yeah, and, she and then he goes happen. straight to get, yeah, who's going to clean up this mess. Right. But I think I think Julie could have this extra plan and still mean a lot of what she said to Varric about how shittily oh, for he sure. treated her. Yeah, you know, and I'm glad she had that moment with him. He none of it, I'm sure, sunk in, <laughs> but um, I'm glad she. Said it, and I still want her to have other tricks up her sleeve. Right. She well, hears about conscious him. now. Yeah, he yeah. has a conscious now, so he could he could come around eventually. I think by the end of the season, we will see Julie come around, and Varric will be working for her. That is my prediction. Ooh, yeah. ooh, uh, someone's got to take over Future Industries. Exactly. That would be fun. Varric's the idea, man. Julie's okay. the uh, the you know the one who actually gets things done. I'm getting more on board with this theory. I just thought it made sense too, because if Kuvira is this charismatic fascist leader then it would make sense that people would turn to her in moments of duress like being forced mm-hmm. into joining what is basically the nazis instead right. of going to a concentration camp <laughs> you know you probably would choose one over the other uh, sure. and it made it had a real world implication for me but i can understand if this swings around and also becomes a plot twisty fun thing for well, julie I mean- who deserves the moment Yes, I think it's thematically related, too, because if you step outside of just family as a theme, this whole idea of, you know, can you redeem somebody that was very close to you and then wronged you is what we're seeing with Hiroshi and what we're seeing with Sue and Kubira. Yeah, probably. I mean, it's just everybody at this point, uh, uh, like up until uh, this book, uh, Cora has been obsessed with like family lines and uh, history and that's why a lot of our shows around the middle of the book will start doing flashbacks, and this one's no different. But this one seems to be a lot more complex in what it's saying, instead of like, you know, it's okay, Tenzin, that you weren't avatar because you couldn't be, is less complex than can you forgive your father who tried to murder you like four years ago? <laughs> I, I always I was thinking about the ending of Return of the Jedi while watching this because I mean she's built because Yub Nub was stuck in your head like it was for me this <laughs> no, week. No, <laughs> only you woke up with the Ewok theme song in your head. Uh, well, I you know do you guys do you think that Darth Vader is redeemed at the end of Return of the Jedi? Like he gets to go to Yub Nub in ghost form. <laughs> uh, yes, but, well, purely but we because he that looks he blew like up a punk. planet. He but he up. looks like it's Humpty Dumpty, so you're just like, yeah. oh. Well, not in the remastered oh, yeah. version. Oh, that's true. the original. That's cute. Yeah, we're, we're the last generation who's going to remember that. But Hayden <laughs> uh, was at the fire now. <laughs> it, it was not a very redeemed. forced uh, redemption for Darth Vader, I always thought. You really? Know? Well, that's yeah. what I keep thinking. Almost you do forgive bad. him for everything, but oh. you give him credit for doing one good thing at the end, I right. think. Right. Almost everyone bad in Korra in this season, I feel, can be redeemed. If Varric can come back, Varric has done some awful things. Yes. And yet we want him yeah. to get out of this re-education camp and have morals once again, or for the first time. Uh, or, or I think about Batar Jr. There's still room in the, the Beifong family for And Sato? And Sato, who's clearly mm-hmm. going to bounce back and, and help and redeem himself in some way. I don't know... If Kuvira busts out a giant laser and blows Zhao Fu to smithereens, is the redemption <laughs> for her? Uh, probably. It can, you can be so bad that you can be redeemed. I don't know. Maybe that's what balance is. Mm-hmm. Balancing out your awfulness with something good that you can do for the world. I'm not sure yeah. where that goes. Um, I do wish Varric was smart enough to leverage, like, he's the only one who knows what's going on here with these spirit vines. So, she, you know, she can't kill him. She can't do anything to him. And it's really up to him to actually make this thing work. So no he way. can prolong this. Zuli, smart that's what Zuli does. Zuli is, that, so that's what makes the Zuli mm-hmm. theory that she is going to. But she doesn't know the, the science behind it, I think. I think that's the big difference. I think she's the puppeteer in this case. Ooh. Varric's not that smart. It's all Zuli. <laughs> what? 
I don't know. <laughs> yeah, I think you're taking this to another level. I've never, like, I, I always thought, like, he was the brains, but he was kind of inept and kind of an idiot. And she was the one who actually took care of things because the She would, like, refine genius. his genius. Well, I don't know if it's refined, but it's like you need somebody to actually do the things normal people would do. Do the thing. That's yeah, all do the really thing. does. Do the thing. <laughs> well, yeah, like, to translate, when you have, like, the mad genius. Yes. Yeah, you do need the capable lab assistant who can translate their madness into something actually practical, right? Yes. So I don't know if she'd be the one to actually help out with the weapon. I'm just saying Varric is like... She's also a really good fighter, though. Wait, let's talk about the only... Pretty much the only action beat of this episode. um, This huge (laughs) mech Arguably of this season. (laughs) Yeah, there uh, hasn't been a ton of action, which I'm okay with, because I love all the ideas floating through this more than some of the Mm -hmm. hardcore action that we've seen in previous seasons. But um, this mech fight is pretty cool, especially after... I had a really sour taste in my mouth seeing these CG mech bots in battalions coming towards Zaofu in that big wide shot. I love the airships descending towards Zaofu and the music that's kind of erupting in that scene. And then you cut to this giant army of, of CG robots and they look bad. They what look, do, what do um, artist number three, Matt Patches is calling you out. I don't know why they will <laughs> I feel bad about it because I'm not sure why they have to use is it Dave, you probably know. Is it because they're so complex that they have to be CG'd? Because they look really good in action. Like they look it's like easier cell to animate animation. Right? Yeah, it's easier to animate multiple things that all look mm-hmm. the same if you just build a 3D model of one. That's what happens. Mm-hmm. I mean, I think the animation looks far better than what I'm seeing in Star Wars uh, Rebels at this point, oh. you know. It's like Oh, yeah. Well, yeah. I mean, they have a better Absolutely. idea of gravity in this it's, show. It's just the way it clashes with the like watercolor hand-drawn art style. I think that's where the <laughs> difference comes in, but well, it's problem is like, it's too beautiful. Yeah. That's a, I mean, that's it. You can freeze frame. I've done this a couple of times. Like when you pause something for me to go pick up a drink or something, uh, every screenshot of this series looks amazing. Like everything is beautiful. Yeah. But when you have CG in there, it's just it's different. It's tough. But yeah. those um, robots really, mm-hmm. I mean, I, mean, they, I don't think they, you could do that, the your... action they do without CG mechanics kind of behind them. It looks really cool. Mm-hmm. I, I mean, there is what your guys is a cultural touchstone for that kind of shot is because I immediately thought of the fighting Arakai like two towers thing but is does that evoke something else for you that image of, of troops and airships moving towards a, a walled city well, for me that is more like this German World War II thing mm-hmm. or like yeah. kind of the fantasy sci-fi version of it that you might see in like Sky Captain in the World of Tomorrow or something where all this technology and, and weird Hitler-esque imagery comes storming in. Uh, I don't know. It had a very Third Reich vibe. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I mean, Star yeah, Wars I, is what I grew up with, but it's yes. very it's very much World War II. I'm getting something else in terms of like the uh, about Game the of giant Thrones. the giant armies of like the you know pods of battalions and stuff. Mm-hmm. I think it might be Lord of the, it might be Lord of the Rings, but there's something in the back of my mind where I feel like I saw that. In like a cartoon or something pre Lord of the Rings movies, I'll try to if I remember it. I'll it reminds it me a lot of uh, Berserk actually, which is this great anime series. It's like a, uh, it's like a horror historical fiction type show, and just crazy and awesome. But it's all about big battles at times too, and uh, it's crazy to think like what they used to do in anime when you had to hand draw all this stuff. So I can understand why the core animators are moving to CG for this because uh, for for these big robot battles, I was thinking of the vision of Escaflone, which is a great series. And if you like horror, you should definitely check it out. But it has a lot of big robot battles and some of them are CG-ish, some are hand-drawn, uh, but it's it's tough. It's just, it reminded me a lot of that. You guys should definitely check it out. Yeah, I think the Avatar team is doing a good job of knowing their limitations. For instance, Bolin is the only person that expresses in the mech suit because they move very, I don't know, comically. If you're doing something, if you're moving a 3D model around, you basically tell it when to stop moving and then it pretends to make up the frames in between. So you have this thing where they know they look generic, so everybody opens their little hood and does really exaggerated poses to accentuate what they're saying or they're fighting. There's not a lot of hanging out in mech suits 
they make it really easy to tell who our good guys and who our bad guys are because the hoods are opening and closing. So I think that they're aware that this might feel weird to people because like, especially now that the mech suits have legs, which I was not expecting. And adds this whole, this whole walk cycle thing, which animation wise, it's just like adding legs to something that used to have wheels is like upping so much render time. But I think they're aware. They're just reaching since it's their last season. They're like, we might as well give this a shot. And that action sequence worked really well for me. I love just, when I love when Zuli shoots the kind of metal <laughs> bender cords out and is like mm-hmm. ripping herself around trees. And then yeah. uh, uh, Bolin steps in with the lava bending. It's really well organized and, and executed. Zuli and Asami need to have like a Street Fighter brawl just for fun. <laughs> just because I want to see how them both use like old equalist tech to try to take each other down. Uh, I, d- I did want to mention that I thought of uh, Dave and Joanna because of your Game of Thrones obsession uh, during this episode. Obsession? You have an obsession. Come on. <laughs> uh, there, there's an episode, and I couldn't remember what it was, where, uh, uh, oh, God, what's the character's name? A big, it's one of the big battle scenes, and um, uh, the little guy, what's his name? <laughs> Tyrion. Peter Dinklage? Tyrion. Tyrion, yeah. Tyrion, yeah. Tyrion has to fight. <laughs> Tyrion has to go into battle. His dad's forcing him to fight in this battle. And it's this all, these camps. Um, and that's what really struck me in this episode, that Kuvira has these camps, all these tents. Oh, and yeah. You're talking about season for... one. I thought you were talking about Blackwater. I'm with you now. I don't think it's season one. I think you're one. thinking it is of season Blackwater. One. It's season one. It's season one. No, he's talking about the, yeah, the Lannister encampments. Because and... there's no actual battle there. Well, you don't we see, see the camp. camp. Yeah. You don't no, see because it. Because Tyrion's like see... running through hordes of people trying to kill yeah. someone. But yeah, yeah, yeah. no, no. Yeah. And then he gets yeah. knocked out right away. Yeah. yeah. And then the battle, yeah. we don't see the rest of the battle. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. It so reminded I said, me of that. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> what's, but that is what's that the, is what you were saying. What's Tywin and Bronn's advice? It's like stay low or something like really <laughs> awful. Anyway. Uh, maybe we should wrap things up mentioning this Asami Soto, Hiroshi Soto uh, C story in this episode, which I thought at first I'm like, this feels kind of clunky and weird mm-hmm. and has no purpose. Um, but it definitely shows its face by the end. Like what, why, why this is part of this narrative. It just didn't feel like the most elegant way of putting it in, but I don't know if there is a better way. It felt like it should have been two episodes ago. Like I, I wanted to see Asami do the train thing, see the, the, the Kuvira, the, crazy speech where she crushed the metal and then go like visit her father. This like mm. space, the Asami storyline is too close to the Zaofu showdown where I was having trouble switching mm-hmm. my interests that fast. It's not that I'm not interested right. in Asami, but that's, that's such a slow paced story and it should be that I feel like it would have done a lot better if I was cutting between like Toph lecturing about what we'd seen for three years and then to Asami. Mm. Mm-hmm. There's no reintroduction to Asami here. I don't know what she's actually been up to since we last saw her. Yeah. Apparently it's visiting it, her dad. It feels like they've had these scenes just like floating around to use in any of these episodes and they just ended up falling in here. <laughs> yeah. yeah. But then I was surprised we didn't get a check in with Mako. Like since we checked in with Asami, mm-hmm. I was surprised we didn't check in with Mako. Yeah, so what's Wu doing? What are yeah. Mako and Wu doing? Well, Shufflin. next week's called the the yeah, Shufflin, called the Battle of Zaofu, but hmm. a whole bunch of our leaders are not with uh, Neil Marshall directing. Hey. Oh, awesome! <laughs> now, a lot of our a lot of our lead characters aren't even going to be there. Bolin's in a camp. We don't know where Mako is. Asami's <laughs> playing pie show. I don't know. Toph better come out of the out of the jungle. Uh, at at some point, Toph. yes. Maybe, maybe when might Kuvira just be the fall the of Zafu, you know? Yeah, the fall. Mm. Oh, the, Kuvira will take Sue's neck thing and make her rise up into the air towards the like beam of nuclear energy spirit light, and then suddenly Toph will just destroy everything. <laughs> I have to say, if Sue dies in this next episode, hashtag Sue dies, um, <laughs> <laughs> I will abandon my Sue's evil theory. <laughs> she could come back as a spirit. Yeah, she but comes only back then. The dead. Oh, zombie man. Sue. Zombie Sue. She just, she just pukes up Vatu and we're like, oh. No, makes sense. <laughs> She's basically, next episode, I hope in the intro, we basically see the, the Avatarverse version of Brian Singer's Valkyrie. <laughs> That's what I'm looking forward to. The assassination <laughs> plot that will probably blow up in her face. I assume that it doesn't happen. Um, but it will right, be and then she dies. Oh, yeah. if, that, if that would be uh, a dark thing to happen, though, if like, and then Su Yin killed, killed Kuvira halfway through the season. No, but if Kuvira kills Su Yin, um, 
what will happen with Batar? Will he be like, cool, he killed my mom, that's great, or will that cause a rift? I think that would shatter him a little bit, but he's so far into it. I guess that's the question of the the brainwashing. Has he been, is he so deep into Kuvira logic and the allegiance there of the uh, the great uniter that he can't really, he has to agree with her? I mean, he's watching his her make these kind of, Mm-hmm. deadly threats in the room with sue doesn't she say like you have 24 hours to agree to this or i'm gonna crush you <laughs> yeah, yeah things get really wow, complex thanks. when your significant other yells at your mother <laughs> <laughs> let's not get too personal here, Dave. um well i guess uh, any, any more thoughts on on the asami line here that's i think the only uncharted topic we have but there's not too much to it they just kind of have some nice chit chat and yeah I, I mean, I, th- I wish she had a couple episodes to deal with this, right? That maybe once an episode we saw her go to visit her father, and after a couple times, then she decides to uh, reconcile somehow. Hmm. I think there's it was a really, yeah. there's a really good Tumblr fan comic of uh, Asami writing Cora the letter from episode two, and next to her is a stack of her father's letters, and I was like, oh, fan con- comic, you make my heart hurt. <laughs> um, the I was going to say, well, it's once again, it's sort of shorthand. Like, it's almost silly to say, I wish we had more time to do this since mm-hmm. we're not even halfway through the season. But once again, I wish we had had more time to be surprised about Kuvira being evil. And I wish we had more time before we realized exactly why Sato is there. You know, like, we know right away why he's there and how that's all going to play into everything. And I feel like they could have although seeded that in a little bit It's better. pretty implicit. It's not there. There's nothing on the nose about those scenes. You have to know. You have to connect Sato to the Sato mechs from book one, and then realize that there's a giant troop of mech warriors approaching. But, but that's that as as I think it was. I don't know. Either Dave or Devendra said like that's the problem with putting that scene in this episode. It's like the mechs are in this episode, so to reintroduce Sato in this episode is a little like ah, oh, we're drawing the line for you. Maybe this comes back to this being a kid's show, and I shouldn't expect it to be, you know, like, mm-hmm. super I would say, I would sly. Say kid but... show. Everything we're saying, like, it's but it's a kid's show, I would actually amend to, but it's a half an hour yes. show. Yes. So it's like, yeah. it's, it's yeah. just That's about the point. storytelling in, that you That's get to point. do in half an hour. Like, if we got to spend, you know, a Mad Men last season split over two years, I'm sure we would have, you know, seen Bolin dealt with very delicately, and the Asami plot would have been, like, different maybe not maybe we just would have spent a lot of time with the x-men air kids but that room for them to breathe would i i think solved a lot of our problems yeah me let's talk about milo and how much of a jerk he is <sighs> i just didn't need any yelling. milo in he was always episode. a jerk though he was always a jerk he's becoming know. jerkier i think milo is now the proxy for fans actually well there there I was no milo is now the big bad of- yes <laughs> The thing about him being a jerk is that that was actually seated from the beginning. We always knew yes. he's an obnoxious kid, and you I give agree. him powers, and yeah, it's, it's going to get and crazy. Yeah, he goes overboard. But yeah. now, now he's the age of like Cora's core audience, which makes me think he's the proxy for fans who are like, more fighting, more fighting. Um, I just listened to this great conversation with The Sopranos creator David Chase who uh, was talking to Andy Greenwald, this podcaster on Grantland, and David Chase was talking about the the worst part about creating The Sopranos was that every week or every off-season, the fans online or writing to him would just be like, more killing! You know, why can't Tony (laughs) be killing more people? It's so fun to watch these antiheroes and the mob kill people. And David Chase is just like, it's so easy to kill people. It gets so boring when you keep having action beats or murderous beats. It's just not fun. And I think that's what this season's a real response to. Like, let's start thinking, guys. We don't need fighting all the time. But then you have Milo who's like, more fighting. It's just yeah. not right. I mean, Cora puts it to him straight. She can't yeah. fight. It's we not were also, right. We were spoiled a little bit last season with like, and here's two hours of Cora this week. And next week, here's an hour. Oh, and then, then here's the rest. So it feels weird to be back on a one-week schedule also in the season where they're yeah. slowly building to a gigantic climax, I'm sure. Um, but yeah, I don't know. We got to be better. We got to be better about this. We got to police ourselves. We can't be blaming <laughs> it for a kid's show. We got to be better critics. Yeah, I mean, I don't like that argument just because, yeah, the show is so much better than that. I never <laughs> want to just be like, oh, it's just a kid's show, so we don't want to hold it to anything. But I also don't want to get so critical that you, that any listeners lose the fact that I love this show, you know? Oh, absolutely. I, I we, we criticize, criticize because I love, because I love yeah. Exactly, exactly. 
Well, why don't we wrap up talking about the things that we really dug about this episode? Little things, little beats, if there was anything. Uh, who wants to jump in? Who has something on the top? I'll go. I'll okay. go. I guess it's got to be usually saying, do the thing. Guards, do the thing. So good. That's- <laughs> <laughs> or very I mean, responding. Not the thing. Not the thing. Not or, the thing. yeah, for me, it was uh, Bolin and Varric together realizing Kuvira is crazy. Because <laughs> <laughs> they're both just kind of slow in the uptake. It's awesome. I like the return of the Blomp just because, like, that went off and, like, the hair on the back of my neck stood up remembering when that first went off during the Wand battle in the beginning part two, I guess. Mm. And I was just like, oh, it's all coming together. I love that music cue so much. They could just do an entire battle. It's just ching, 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 womp, ching, ching, womp, and I'd love it. I did not think about, I mean, I think you're on point. I, it did not dawn on me that that laser was the same laser that came out of Vatu. The Vatu laser. Yeah, no, I didn't make that connection either. I, I wonder if, they, like, yeah. can you release the Vatu? Is this some sort of Ghostbusters like, release? <laughs> Unleash the Kraken. Or, yeah, are they going to release Vatu somehow through energy or through this spirit? I mean, in terms of how these things usually play out in genre fiction, there's two things. One is they accidentally release the Force by, by, you know, playing with something they shouldn't. And the second is that this is the way the world translates its own magic. So this is what, now that we're in the last season of the Avatar universe, we could finally break it and be like, this is the midichlorians. We've we figured out a way to interact with our magic with science. Because um, it's towards the end of the yeah. series, I don't really care too much, but it, I think it's going to go in one of those two ways. What Magnets are involved, by the way. Predicted. Last <laughs> yeah. <laughs> it's true. The technology element. Well, some people in the comments were defending Kuvira. Not defending Kuvira, but saying that maybe she's just building a, a power source. With this laser. Oh, totally. Beam. Yeah, clean energy. For <laughs> Nothing sure. bad ever yeah. happened with yeah. power. Sources. I think she says weaponize in this. Episode. She does. Yeah. She does. Okay. Yeah. They're building a laser, people. <laughs> Let's get it. It's a freaking laser. When you see a laser out, <laughs> out the back of the Kuvira's piercer, pretty. She just needs to attach it to one of those like spirit sharks or whatever. Right? <laughs> <laughs> <Sure>. <laughs> uh, or Pabu with laser. Ooh. Oh. Pabu, oh, yeah. Pabu's going to be uh, Guardians of the Galaxy. He's going to be... Yeah. Oh, Rocket. Rocket yeah, Raccoon. Yeah, I want a mech, a mech suit for Pabu. <laughs> <laughs> Fan art alert. <laughs> we need that immediately. Uh, and just to wrap up, two little things that I liked. There's something that I really liked about Kuvira, and maybe this plays into the theory that, or, or her intentions of dating or marrying Batar Jr., um, but Kuvira talking to Sue about Batar reminded me of Captain Hook in Hook. Where he's like, mm. your son is mine. He loves me more. <laughs> you see? Oh, I yeah, played Justin baseball Hoffman with him. You never played baseball with him. Yes. <laughs> They're going to go. What if they, there should be a dance sequence between Batar Jr. and Kuvira where they, they dance around metal? Uh, that's probably the true stab to the heart for Sue. Um, I also had this realization or, or had this flashback that other people seem to have noticed that Hiroshi Sato old with white hair looks a lot like Hayao Miyazaki. Oh, yes. And I don't know why. I mean, it really looks like Hayao Miyazaki, yeah. but I don't know yeah. the intention. Like what, what are you implying by making this guy who tried to kill everyone at the beginning, who's suddenly the old master who can probably solve our technological problems now look like Hayao Miyazaki. I don't know. It's actually a statement on the wind rises. Ooh. Wow. Yeah. It probably yeah. is. Think about that. You're blowing my mind. Yeah, building war machines and Ow. trying to redeem yourself. <laughs> That's uh, timeline-wise, timeline that might work out mm-hmm. in terms of when these things are getting pushed through design. and, and That's not, a, not that far. I like it. Good job. Yeah, that that does look like music. Uh, uh, well, I think that wraps things up for this week's Republic City Dispatch. Thanks, everybody, for listening. Uh, we'll be back next week when we have a new episode to talk about. Uh, Devendra, tell people where they can find you on the internet. Oh, you can find me on Twitter at twitter.com slash Devendra. Uh, I uh, podcast about movies and TV at slash film.com. And starting tomorrow, I'll be writing about tech and gadget.com. Woo, Very excited. Woo, Thanks. That's awesome. Joanna? Oh, uh, I write on vanityfair.com. You can follow me on Twitter at Joe Wrote This. So you can find me on a myriad of podcasts, including Fighting in the War Room with these guys or the Station Agents uh, podcast about television. Are we allowed to talk about this new venture? that you're sure i was not aware you were even aware of it patches oh I'm, it's on my radar i know everything <laughs> i'm kuvira no wait uh, and- you're tough <laughs> oh yeah 
I felt Dave, the, I felt the Dave treat. Gonzalez, like for better or worse, Dave Gonzalez and I are joining forces on a uh, comics-based project that you will know more about later in the week. So. Wednesday. Should be for all Wednesday. about Saga, We're just going to go for it. Saga. <laughs> I want to be on cast. for Saga talk. Yeah. <laughs> we do explain Saga this week, so really? it'll be... Well, I mean, very big. Explain ba- might be not the right <laughs> word. <laughs> Why do the robots have TVs for heads? I don't know. Yeah, if you guys, we touched on Saga this week. If you guys are fans of The Legend of Korra and maybe are aware that there are a lot of comic book movies but don't read comics, this podcast will be yes. fine for you. Awesome. So check it and out. And read Saga, people. Come on. Yeah, that too. Uh, Dave? Uh, you can find me in the previously mentioned podcast places on Twitter at DA7E and writing about superhero movie news and Star Wars at latino-review.com. And I'm Matt Patches. I write all over the internet and try and put everything on my Tumblr, mattpatches.com. And I'm on Twitter at Mr. Patches. And I recap The Legend of Korra at screencrush.com. And I'm on Fighting in the War Room with these guys talking about pop culture. And until next week, farewell. Farewell.